Hello and welcome to the Night Sky Guide for August. My name is Melissa Holbert and I'm an astronomy educator at Sydney Observatory. Before we start our night sky tour, make sure you download the August sky map from our website www.sydneyobservatory.com.au forward slash blog. Or, if you have one, use your star map from our book, The Australian Sky Guide. There is a lot of astronomical information in this book as well as the monthly star maps. Armed with your sky map and a small torch with some red cellophane covering it, find a nice dark place away from the glare of the street lights and make sure you know your cardinal directions north, south, east and west. Remember that the sun rises in the east, moves through the northern sky during the day and sets in the west or a small compass will also point you in the right direction. Pick a comfortable spot either on a rug or a deck chair that you can lay back in and make sure you're wearing something warm during the chilly winter nights. Wait about 5 to 10 minutes and allow your eyes to adapt to the darkness. Look straight above you. High overhead is Scorpius the Scorpion. The Scorpion is one of the easiest constellations to pick out as it is one of the few that does look like what it's supposed to represent. It covers about 30 degrees in the sky. Working out degrees in the sky is quite easy. Hold your arm out towards the sky and make a fist. From one side of your fist to the other, this is 10 degrees. Hold your other arm out and spread your fingers out as wide as you comfortably can, so the opposite of a fist. From your little finger to your thumb is 20 degrees. Put your hands side by side and you now have 30 degrees, the size the scorpion covers in the sky. This does work for everyone as your arm length is proportional to your hand size. Now look for the scorpion's heart Antares, a red supergiant star that is 400 times the diameter of our sun. Antares means rival of Mars, and when they are close together in the sky, they certainly do look very similar. If you have a pair of binoculars, then near Antares is a small globular star cluster, M4, which is a group of old stars that lie about 7,000 light years away, making it one of the closest globular clusters to us. Below the sting of the scorpion are two open star clusters, M7 and M6, which lie about 800 and 2000 light years away respectively, and are both worth a look. See if you can see the butterfly in M6. These names I'm giving the clusters are catalogue names. M stands for Messier and is named after Charles Messier, an 18th century French comet chaser. He made a catalogue of 103 fuzzy objects that were not comets, so that he didn't waste his time looking at them. Other astronomers later added a few more objects to the catalogue, bringing the total to 110. Follow the scorpion along from its head, through its heart and taris, and to the point where the body meets the tail. The star at this point is Zeta Scorpii, and next to it sits NGC 6231, a bright open star cluster containing about 120 stars. This cluster is remarkable for its large population of high luminosity supergiant stars, which includes two wolf rayet stars. wolf rayet stars are very luminous, very hot stars that have relatively short lifetimes. It is a striking cluster that contains many white and yellow stars as well as many pairs and triplets and is about six and a half thousand light years away. Just behind the sting of the scorpion is Sagittarius, which is depicted as a half man, half horse, aiming an arrow towards Scorpius. 
Sagittarius was often confused with the other centaur, Centaurus. However, Sagittarius is different in that he has a warlike posture with his arrow aimed at the heart of the scorpion. It is thought that Sagittarius can be traced back to the Mesopotamian archer god Nergal, who was associated with Ira, the wrathful god of war and fire. However, in our night sky, Sagittarius looks more like a teapot than any of these mythical creatures. Interestingly, the sun lies in Sagittarius from mid-December until mid-January, meaning that it lies in this constellation at the time of summer solstice, its most distant point south of the equator. The very centre of our galaxy is found in Sagittarius, along with many great binocular and telescopic objects. Alpha Sagittarii is one of several examples where the star labelled as Alpha, which represents the brightest star in a constellation, is not actually the brightest star. Epsilon Sagittarii has the honour of being the brightest. Sagittarius is known for its nebula and clusters, 15 of which Messier catalogued more than any other constellation. Near the top of the teapot's lid is M22, a large globular cluster. It is visible to the naked eye in dark skies and appears as a fuzzy blob in binoculars. It takes a telescope with an aperture of 75mm or greater to reveal some of the outer stars, with some of the brightest appearing to have a reddish hue. Even small telescopes will reveal M22's elliptical appearance and it lies about 10,000 light years away. M22 is considered to be one of the finest examples of a globular cluster in the sky, third only to Omega Centauri and 47 Tucane. Winter months remind us of the wonderful Milky Way sites of Scorpius and Sagittarius, but observers should not forget the 13th zodiac constellation, Ophiuchus, which lies beside Scorpius and Sagittarius and is often overlooked with these two constellations overhead. Ophiuchus is an ancient constellation, representing a snake coiled around a man. However, it is now often associated with Aesculapius, a mythical healer said to have the ability to raise the dead. Certainly in Greek mythology, it is Ophiuchus who raises Orion from the dead after he is bitten by the scorpion. Aesculapius is seen holding a snake, most likely as they were seen as a symbol of power. Ophiuchus is seen as the 13th sign of the zodiac due to the Earth's precession or the wobble of Earth on its axis. The Sun, Moon and the planets now pass through this constellation, the Sun from the 30th of November to the 17th of December. Ophiuchus has many interesting and varied objects for the observer, including the second closest star to our Sun, Barnard's star, a red dwarf lying 5.9 light years away. Lying just to the west of the Scorpion is the seventh constellation of the zodiac, Libra of the Scales. To the ancient Greeks, Libra was part of Scorpius, representing the Scorpion's claws, and this association is reflected in the names of the brightest stars in Libra, Zubin el Ganubi and Zubin Eshtemali, meaning the Southern Claw and the Northern Claw, respectively. However, Latin writers considered Libra distinct from Scorpius, with the scales symbolising the equinoxes, the equal lengths of day and night. Two millennia ago, the sun moving into Libra marked the September equinox, the point at which the sun moves south of the celestial equator each year. But due to precession, at around 730 BC, this point moved into the adjoining constellation Virgo. 
During the first century BC, in the reign of Julius Caesar, the Romans separated Scorpius into the two distinct constellations we are familiar with today and associated the scales with Astraea, the goddess of justice, who is also represented by the constellation Virgo. Time to turn and look towards the south. Look slightly to the west of south. Here you will see the pointers, Alpha and Beta Centauri. Follow the line of the pointers down towards the southwest, and there is the constellation Crux, better known to us as the Southern Cross. Crux is Latin for cross. The Southern Cross, like the Scorpion, is another constellation that actually does look like what it's supposed to represent. The pointers point to the Southern Cross and this is one way to check you have the right cross as there are many groups of stars in the southern sky that look like crosses. The second brightest star in Crux is a marker for a wonderful binocular and telescope object. To find the second brightest star, whose name is Mimosa, look for the star in Crux closest to the pointers. Now, just nearby, at about 10 o'clock, if you imagine a clock face over Mimosa, is a wonderful open star cluster called the Jewel Box. It looks like a sideways A in telescopes and binoculars. In a telescope, wonderful colours can be seen, with white stars and a red supergiant. Sometimes even green appears, but of course there are no green stars. This is just an illusion. The famous 18th century astronomer John Herschel gave the cluster its name, as he likened it to a piece of multicoloured jewellery. It lies just under 5,000 light-years from us. Move back to the pointers and look at the constellation of Centaurus, which surrounds Crux on three sides. It depicts a centaur, a mythical beast, half man, half horse. The constellation was said to represent the scholarly Chiron, the centaur who was tutor to many of the Greek gods and heroes. He was put among the stars after accidentally being killed by a poisoned arrow from Hercules. Close to the second point of Beta Centauri lies Omega Centauri, or NGC 5139, the brightest and largest globular cluster in the sky. In fact, it is so bright it was labelled as a star on early charts by Ptolemy, and later recorded by Bayer as Omega Centauri. It was found to be a cluster in 1677 by Edmund Halley, of Comet Halley fame, so Omega Centauri carries both a star designation and an object catalogue designation. It is easily seen with the naked eye, shining with the luminosity of a million suns. Its brilliance and large aperture size is in part due to its relative closeness to us, only about 17,000 light years away, making it one of the closest globulars to us. Very close to Omega Centauri is NGC 5128, one of the strongest radio sources in the sky, and is known to astronomers as Centaurus A. Optically, in long exposure photographs, it appears as a giant elliptical galaxy, split in half by a dust band. It is thought that Centaurus A is the result of a merger between two galaxies, one elliptical and the other spiral. In good skies, Centaurus A can be seen in binoculars, but a telescope is required to see the dust lanes of the spiral galaxy, intersecting the bright elliptical halves. Centaurus A lies about 13 million light-years from us. Crux sits within one of the arms of our Milky Way, and if you are away from the city lights, you will see this arm and notice a dark patch between the brightest and second brightest stars of this constellation. 
This dark patch is called the coal sack and is a dark nebula, lots of gas and dust that are blocking out the background stars. In Aboriginal mythology, the coal sack formed the head of the emu, and if you follow the dark dust lanes of the Milky Way towards the scorpion, you will see the emu's body and legs. This time of year is perfect for seeing the emu stretching across the night sky. So what else can we look forward to seeing in the sky in August 2010? This month after sunset, look towards the west. Mercury starts the month low in the western sky, however by month's end it will be lost in the twilight glare. As Mercury slowly sinks, a number of interesting planetary groupings occur. Venus will be visible all month in the western sky above Mercury. The two innermost planets are also joined in the western sky by Mars and Saturn. The first two weeks of August are the best time to catch the four planets, with Mars and Saturn separated by two degrees or less from July 29 to the 2nd of August, and Venus and Mars will be only two degrees apart from the 17th to the 21st. While the four planets will make a wonderful sight in the western sky, the night of the 13th will be a spectacular sight, with the four-day-old crescent moon joining the planets after sunset. Mars, Venus, Saturn and the moon will all be within eight degrees of each other on this night, and something not to be missed. Turn and look towards the east. A brilliant star-like object shines in the eastern sky. This is Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system. It starts the month rising about 9.30pm, but by month's end is rising at 7.18pm. On the 26th and 27th, the waning gibbous moon will pass below and above Jupiter. If you have a pair of binoculars, you can see the Galilean satellites, the four largest moons of Jupiter's known 63, which appear as tiny points of light. A telescope will show you some of the cloud belts of Jupiter, however the moons still appear as points of light. Jupiter, or more accurately, Jupiter's moons, provide our wildcard event for this month. There are two interesting satellite shadow events this month, and if you have a telescope, it is well worth watching. On the 20th of August at 9.48pm Eastern Standard Time, Ganymede's shadow starts to move across the disk of Jupiter. It is followed 17 minutes later by Io's shadow at 10.05pm. Io's shadow will quickly overtake Ganymede's and the shadow will leave Jupiter's disk at 20 minutes past midnight. On the 28th of August at 1.49am, Ganymede's shadow will move onto Jupiter's disk. Before this though, Io will start to transit Jupiter's disk at 38 minutes past midnight. However, its shadow will not move onto the disk until 2.15am. At 2.51am, Io's shadow will depart Jupiter's disk. This month also provides an opportunity to see the seventh planet in our solar system, Uranus. Uranus rises with Jupiter and shines at magnitude 5.8. While this magnitude is on the limits of naked eye visibility, you would need very dark skies and good seeing conditions. However, any small pair of binoculars will allow you to see Uranus. Simply point your binoculars at Jupiter and the closest bright star is Uranus, though be careful not to mistake one of the Galilean satellites for Uranus. This month is not a great one for all you early birds, so enjoy a sleep in and be ready for the coming months. I leave you now with a quote from Nicholas Copernicus. Finally, we shall place the sun himself at the centre of the universe. 
All this is suggested by the system of procession of events and the harmony of the whole universe. If only we face the facts, as they say, with eyes wide open. As you gaze up into the sky this August, keep your eyes wide open. You never know what wonders you might glimpse. Wishing you clear skies and see you next month under the stars. This has been Melissa Holbert from Sydney Observatory with the August Sky Map podcast.